Welcome to the first episode of the Burning Leafs podcast. I'm Thomas Fessio, and alongside me is Tom Isbister and Alex Russo. What's going on, boys? I don't know. Same old, same old. It's excited to start this podcast. Yeah. And talk about some hockey. So, uh, if you guys couldn't already tell, uh, the Burning Leaf podcast will basically be about the Calgary Flames and Toronto Maple Leafs. Myself, I'm a Flames fan, the other two are Leaf fans. Um, so we'll kind of be handling both of our teams, um, but also the rest of the NHL. I mean, we're all interested in every team. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be looking at all that. There's going to be a, these next few weeks, probably the next few months are going to be probably seriously hectic with a lot of news. RFA has got to get signed a lot, a little quicker, you know, this time around than years past. But, um, I think that's good news for us. There'll be a lot of news out there. Um, and it's going to be a fun time. Tom, on to you. Yeah, I'm just excited to get the podcast going. I cover a lot of European hockey. Uh, and just like Russo, we were both graduates of the sport management program into a time where there is no sports. So we're just excited to be able to talk about some. And yeah. Yeah, so I just graduated the RAMP program, which is the radio broadcasting program at Humber as well. So we all went to the same school at the same time and uh, ended up the same way in the end with the covid pandemic that's happened in the world that's kind of took a stump on the school and life right now but i want to get into radio in the future and this is a start with this podcast for the burning leaf podcast so yeah as russo said we could get right into the final and kind of recap what happened there yeah so obviously Tampa bay lightning they went in six games um the series was close i think maybe closer and some anticipated i anticipated going seven mm-hmm. uh, that was that was my original prediction um i had tampa and seven um, but man, they, in a year in which everything was all sorts of messed up, the Tampa Bay lightning, like this was a long time coming. Yeah. I don't think anyone can argue against that. No, the team that, I, the, the team that needed to win the cup won the cup. Yeah. And I think I was discussing with Thomas uh, a few days back, you know, this is probably, I would argue the first time since probably the 2013 Blackhawks that the best team in the NHL, like on paper, you know, everyone predicted actually won the Stanley Cup. Like you go back to last year, I don't think the Blues were the best team in the NHL. The year before that, I definitely don't think the Caps were the best team in the NHL. Um, You can argue both Pittsburgh years, you know, 2016, you can argue they were definitely one of the better teams. But, you know, you look at all those years, 2016, you had the Hawks, 2017, the the Capitals were crazy good. Yeah. Obviously 2017, there was really that three horse race in the end of, you know, the Preds, the Jets, and the Lightning. Last year, everyone thought the Lightning were going to win. And then this year, you know, the Lightning, they probably had a start they didn't want. I know they were, they were probably still a little rattled from the Columbus series last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like you, like right before the break, even I would argue from probably January on, they were by far and away the best team in the NHL, even if the points didn't suggest it. But they finished second, and you know, even without Steven Stamkos, like it, it, they always seem to do it without Stamkos. I mean, yeah. you know, after 20, 2016, when you know they get all the way to the Eastern Conference Final Game Seven against the Penguins, they had him for they didn't have him at all, and then he comes back in Game Seven and they lose. But um, I'm just for Stamkos, I'm super happy for him. Like he's been one of my favorite players for a while. Yeah, and. and- even though he only played his two minutes and 50 seconds or whatever it was, it's not like he wasn't impactful off the ice. Oh, he made a huge impact. He scored a huge goal. <laughs> scored a huge goal, but not only that, like you're 
it's your captain and you're in a bubble and like he's there every day and in the hotel rooms and at the team lunches and like sure he wasn't on the ice for well almost in the entire playoffs but like it's just that off ice impact he had yeah when you'd see after games and they'd run into the locker room and he was there greeting them like like good for him he it was the same thing with Team Canada at the Olympics where he was left off the roster because he was hurt. They still gave him a gold medal because he was still there the entire time and still yeah. did Stephen Stamkos things of being also, a great captain. I also think like just even having him on the bench for that game, you know, see him get like so fired up after like, didn't they, they scored like what, five, six goals that game, I think. I remember it was, yeah, I think they scored five or six. But yeah. to see him on the bench, he was like so fired up and like, yeah. He just seems so happy to, like, he was genuinely happy to be there. And I think for Stamkos, finally, like, breaking through and winning, it's probably, for him to actually get into that game, probably makes him feel a lot better about himself that right. he wasn't on the sidelines the whole time. But he was exactly. actually there. He scored a goal. He was impactful in his two minutes and 47 seconds. You know what? I, I know people are going to degrade this cup for Tampa, but I, I don't see it that way. Um, it's the, you know, it's he, the hardest cup to win. No, yeah, and they they all, they had to play more games. Obviously, Tampa didn't really have to battle through those three round robins, but to get the position they did, and to have to go up against Columbus again after what happened last year, you think mentally maybe there's some maybe there's some stuff there. You know, obviously the first game went to the five overtimes. So yeah, that doesn't help. And you know they they take them down in five. You know, I think it's it was I think that step beating Columbus was like the biggest thing probably mentally for them was like, okay, we beat them. We can beat anyone. And they, they, they handled... slay their dragon, right? It's yeah, like exactly. The like, moment the Leafs slay their dragon with the Bruins. That it might be the day they break through. Could be it. Yeah. And then obviously like they go on to beat the Bruins in five, like they did in 2018. And then, you know, the Islanders, you know, they had a lead in the series and they didn't crumble like they did against the Caps two years ago. You know, they beat them and then, they get to the cup final and they win. And like, I, I don't want to discredit Dallas at all. I mean, I had them. I, no, I, I think I give it. Dallas more credit than a lot of people did or expected more of them than a lot of people yeah, did. I, I know but people were calling them boring, but at the end, like, they, they played defense. Good because players, like, people looked at the Islanders and Dallas and went, this is boring the same this is boring no dallas played defense when they needed to play defense when dallas needed to score goals they scored goals and you can look at the colorado series with that and it was oh, fun yeah. the entire way through probably one of the most fun series in the entire bubble and then vegas came and they walked through vegas yeah and they just they clamped up again i think was the other thing in vegas like we saw against colorado where like they were just scoring like i don't think I think Greg Bonus basically said, like, we're going to have to outscore these guys. Yeah, because we and know Colorado they scored anyway. in three like, goal bunches every yeah. game. And I think even against the Flames, when they had to score, they would score. I think, I remember they got shut out in game one. They scored, I, th- I think game two, was game two the game that Jamie Alexia scored with, like, 30 seconds left? I believe It might have been game three. But, you know, they and then obviously in game six, they had that seven goal outburst, you know, you know, um, where it was ran through by Dennis Gurionov ripping four. But, yeah, I think you look at Dallas in the end, and, you know, they were able to play every which style that I think they could have played. The problem was is that Tyler Sagan was playing through three injuries. You know, they, they, they I think in game six, what, they had, they had no Radic Faxon, they had no Blake Como. Uh, Jason Dickinson was playing on one leg. 
you know, they, they, they didn't have the horses to keep up with Tampa in the end. I, I don't think, I, I think Tyler Sagan, if he's not injured is a big plus to Dallas, if he's healthy. And even as uh, a injured Tyler Sagan, he still had a really good series. He just wasn't scoring. Oh, against Tampa, yeah. I just, the rest of the playoffs, why it, it, mm-hmm. it was yeah. great. And then obviously I, I, I think we'd be reminisced if we didn't talk about Anton Kudobin because yeah. he was unbelievable. He ran out of gas in the end. Yeah, he and looked I, tired. Same with Vasilevsky too. Like, yeah, and that's that's another guy I don't think is getting enough credit is Andre Vasilevsky because holy crap, this guy played every single second yes. of, the, of these playoffs. He and he played got every his game first shutout in the final game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I find like, that unbelievable. Like, I think people tend to say Vasilevsky is overrated because of the team he plays on. I think there is some truth to that. I mean, this year, should he have been nominated for Vezina? I don't know. But I think in these playoffs showed when he wants to win and he's at the top of his game, he's one of the best goalies in the league. And I don't mm-hmm. think anyone's going to argue that anymore. But yeah, Vasilevsky was unbelievable. Like It, it also helps when your blue line consists of Victor Hedman, Mikhail Sergachev, and Ryan McDonough. But you, you, we can't. I don't think we can put past the kind of series that Vasilevsky put together. Yeah. I think he was unbelievable. Yeah. Playoffs, like... Yeah. Yeah. Which when we get to the our next point of the drafts, our next segment in the show, uh, I'll bring up the Tampa Bay Lightning defense because if you look at the way they actually built that decor, it's really sort of special. They did it a way yeah. not many teams did, which was just through trades and free agency. Which yeah, and then obviously Victor Hedman was a monster. I don't think anyone's gonna argue that either. He was him and Braden Point like. Uh, and I think the most impressive thing about Tampa is like you look at their team, and like most of their team was homegrown mm-hmm. talent. Like obviously, like you look at the big guys: Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman. You know, Hedman was second overall. Stamkos first overall. Um, Kucherov was like a second round pick. Brandon Point was a seventy ninth overall in the third round. Um, Alex Kaloran was a guy that I kind of ragged on for a little bit, but. He was great all year. I think after JT Miller got traded, he was like, he kind of stepped up. Yeah, had to. You know, Tyler Johnson undrafted, Yanni Gord undrafted. Like the the Steve Heiserman, you know, Julian Breezebois deserves a lot of credit for what he did with this team. But this was Steve Heiserman's kind of team. Yep. This was Steve Heiserman's team when he stepped away to go fix whatever Detroit is doing. Yeah. Um, but like it's he built this team. Granted, they got bounced in the first round last year, and that was his team too, and it was on Julian Breezebois to bring in the parts that, I guess, added more grit, added more toughness. Patrick Maroon, what a great add. Back-to-back yeah. cups with different teams. Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow, even though you can say it was an overpay for both of them, they stepped well, up saw- and they added exactly what they needed. Yeah, I saw something today regarding Barkley Goudreau. I remember when the trade happened for Barkley Goudreau. It was like a first-round pick for Barkley Goudreau. Like, what? I saw today, since the Lightning won the Cup, it's the 31st overall pick, and I think the 84th overall pick is what they gave up for Barkley Goudreau. And you know what? You think about that. It's like you give up the 31st pick and the 84th for an NHL player that helped you win the Cup. You don't care. Is it, is it an overpayment? No. In, in hindsight, um, you know, I didn't know how good Barkley Goudreau was. He's not a guy that's going to, like, you know, knock your socks off and be like, holy crap, look at this play he just made. Yeah, but, no. like, I watched him play, and, like, 
I, I didn't give it. I never really watched San Jose all that much. But like when I watch Barkley Goudreau play, I'm like, you can use this guy in any situation you want. Penalty kill, he was out there. He, he wasn't used on the power play, but I bet if they absolutely wanted to, they could have used him. Even strength, he was part of that ridiculous third line that Tampa assembled of Yanni Gord, Coleman, and uh, Goudreau himself. Yeah, like, that was a great third line. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, it, it, it's, it's hilarious because Blake Coleman – was second in goals per game on the Devils. Which this what year. a player he is. He scored 20 goals with the Devils. And like I've always loved Blake Coleman. I, I love the guy. And then Tampa, he gets to Tampa and it's like, we're gonna put you on our third line. Like, come on. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's 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 amazing. Like And for a lot of time too, they didn't use Blake Coleman the way they should have used Blake Coleman. No. They I, used I him think... as a fourth line grind guy to go grind out in the corners. And then like midway through the cup final, they just went Oh, we're gonna put you in an offensive role, which he can play. We're just gonna tell you, like, just go score, and yeah. like in the Boston yeah, series, he had a couple course. really just goals that were really reminiscent of the way he scored in uh, New Jersey, mm-hmm. where it just you don't expect him to get a shot on net, and yet the puck's in the back of the net. Yeah, he's he's really really good. I love Blake Coleman. I mean, I would take him on the Flames in a heartbeat. He's defensively responsible. He drives play probably you know he's one of the better play drivers in the league and like like i said defensively responsible is probably his biggest thing and you know what he scored 20 goals on the devils this year like put him in tampa in a full year like if you have a healthy stamkos that third line center is probably anthony sorelli which is going to be hilarious because like you know but you put him in a third line role he's probably gonna do fine with tampa and same with barkley goutreau yep you know, I, I think Julian Breezebois, like, before we end this segment, probably deserves a lot of credit. Well, he deserves the GM of the Year award. And he didn't. Yeah. yeah, and he didn't get it. No, and, like, what I'll say about Breezebois is he watched his team get kicked in the mouth last year by Columbus. He watched his team get breaking down, and they never adjusted. John Cooper, I will give so much credit to, because last year he didn't adjust. They went into the playoffs playing one way, and Columbus kicked them in the mouth in game one. And they never adjusted their play style to what Columbus was doing to them. Yeah, it didn't were, help them. Who dropped them this team play, and they play, were able to play every which way they wanted to. And that's you have to give a lot of credit to Julian Breezebois for bringing in guys like Blake Coleman, Pat Maroon, Berkeley Gujo to play that kind of dirty, dirty game. And like, I'm not going out here and saying you absolutely need a big guy on your fourth line to just hit guys. What's Pat Maroon really good at? He's really good at agitating. But what's Pat Maroon also? He's a good hockey player. The guy scored 27 goals in Edmonton, given he played, played he was playing with McDavid. But the guy's not a bad hockey player. The guy can play. Like, look at that goal that Coleman scored in game six. Like, Maroon knocks that puck out of midair. Like, would Zach Ronaldo be doing that? No. Like, not a chance. Would, would Kyle Clifford be doing that? Probably not. Like, Maroon, they re- he's a good hockey player. Like, uh, he's got a lot of skill. We saw it in Edmonton that, what, that year in 16-17. We saw flashes of it last year with the Blues, and we saw it this year with Tampa. And, like, you know what? And, like, another really under-the-radar move that I guess was kind of under-the-radar at the time, maybe not, but Kevin Shattenkirk, like, coming, like, getting bought out and then taking a one-year prove-it deal in Tampa, like, it worked, like, so well for them. You know? And Shattenkirk's a weird one where it was, like, he was really sought after at the deadline from St. Louis to Washington. They paid a big haul, it didn't work. He went home to the Rangers where he wanted to be, and 
he wasn't still what he was looked at at the deadline when Washington paid a whole right. lot for him. Mm-hmm. Like, still serviceable, just paid a little bit too much by him. And, if he, and I also think the Rangers put him in a role where he wasn't going to succeed. No. First line defense. Yeah, is Kevin Shattenkirk a first pairing defenseman? No. He no. may not even be a second pairing guy. But he's definitely a guy if you shelter him and you put him in offensive situations, he's going to thrive. And even defensively this year, he was solid defensively this year. Yeah. Given, like, at all times, he was either playing with one of Hedman, McDonough, or Sergachev, which helps. But, you know, I, I, I like. It helps, and having the Tampa Bay forwards to pass up to you helps a lot. Also, right. Too. Especially a puck moving guy. Like, if, if Shad Kurt's on the Rangers this year, is he probably better than years past? Probably. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. We, uh, there's enough never... young D on the Rangers to where his veteran presence could have been used. Him. Yeah, but, but uh, oh well, he's too busy winning a cup in Tampa. Yeah, that's it, it's crazy that these guys that took one year deals like Maroon and Shad Kirk, like, and they yeah. end up winning. It's well, that just tells you they're winning drive. Like that's what they want to do to win a cup: take a one year deal, one million dollars, and they got what they wanted. They won the Stanley Cup at a cheap price, and then next year they're gonna get not paid, but like they're gonna people are gonna ask for them. Yeah, I, I think. I think it's almost like what Corey Perry tried to do in Dallas this year. Where it's and like, it almost worked. And he was, almost, you can worked. hate Corey Perry as much as you want to hate Corey oh, Perry. Flames fan, I do not like Corey Perry. I don't think anybody likes Corey Perry. No, <laughs> no, maybe Ducks fans. And now, um, but and uh, obviously Dallas. But I saw people saying, is Corey Perry going to get like a ridiculous payday? And I'm like, no. no. I hope not. He's he, had like five, he, had, he had like five goals this year. And then he, put, <laughs> and then he matched it in the playoffs. Like, yeah, like I saw, like I saw Flames people saying, like, should we get Corey Perry? I'm like, what? I'm like, do you want to have the slowest third line in all of hockey? <laughs> do you want to get stupid or like, like, do you want to have Milan Lucic and Corey Perry on your third line? I'd love like, to see that. It would be no, like I know you would, but I wouldn't. <laughs> if Milan Lucic isn't in Calgary, like yeah, like I'll take Corey Perry on my fourth line at like a mil. Who's your but, Who's your like fourth line center? Who can match that, that speed uh, and toughness? Uh, I mean, <laughs> definitely around, not Mankowski. <laughs> Around the league, who's that slow? Uh, Milan Lucic, James Neal. There you go, James but, Neal uh, center. Yeah, so congrats to the Lightning. You know they were the best team, best team, best team. They finally did it, and uh, I'm I'm super super happy with the Lightning. I think you know I think a lot of Flames fans would be like, ah, we didn't want them to win because of what happened in 04. I was definitely cheering for the Lightning. I was super happy to see them win and. You know what? Like, I, I, the choking memes are kind of over now. They did it, and they did it with Zach Bogosian on their blue line, which is hilarious. Zach Bogosian, Luke Shen, and Curtis McLean are Stanley Cup champions. Amazing. And Carter Verhage. And Carter, and Carter Verhage. Verhage. Did you see Carter Verhage's Instagram story? I did. He was going wild. I was, I was yeah. laughing so hard. Like they were singing uh, West Virginia, what, "Country Roads Take Me Home." Me oh my god! They, they looked like they were having so much fun, and like, obviously they were. If they won the cup. You are. Yeah, I remember when I won the GTHL championship. <laughs> I thought I was having fun watching these guys. Like, man, they uh, like they were in a fun one. But yeah, congrats to Tampa. I'm glad they were able to finally do it. But um, I think it's time to move on to what do we want to see our teams do um, in the offseason? I guess we'll start with you guys because there's two of you. I know Tyson Berry and 
uh, Cody Cece were told to hit the road. <laughs> uh, they're going to be heading off the told free to hit the road. But for Cody Cece, it's open if he would like to return, and there's a fit here. Please, imagine, no. Imagine but yeah, like I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? Like, let's let's not get crazy and say Alex Petrangelo for six million dollars. But you know, what right, do you guys want to see in Toronto? What, <laughs> what do you guys want to see happen in Toronto this year? I guess I can start off here. Yeah, um, you'll start. Honestly, I think you just keep going with the way that you're going before like this team you can't really change a whole lot to it it's structured in a way where there's not very many parts that you can move out and bring in equal or better value than what you would be pushing out the door anyway i guess there's like kyle clifford's gone um jason spezza i could see him coming back but then he'd be 38 Mm -hmm. i don't know is joe thornton gonna be a fit here i hope not it's really just gonna be like staying pat and just finding those one-year deals that end up working. Is it Jason Spezza again? Sure. Is it somebody else? Sure. Who knows? That's Kyle Dubas's job. I guess, like, you look at Tampa Bay and how long were Stamkos and Hedman together before they finally won? Nine years? Eleven? I don't know. You can't even go back to the Capitals. How long were Ovi and Backstrom together for? Right? And then it took, like, Kuznetsov adding in there, Oshi as well was brought in you just stand pat this team your top guys are 23 20 or 22 and like you just stand pat you stay the course you have them locked up and you tinker with whatever you want to tinker with on the third and fourth line to figure out something that works you're gonna have nick robertson next year who hopefully should be what he's hyped up to be and it looks like he will be on um, defense Lilligren and Sandine you have those guys you try to bring back Dermot if you can if it makes sense ship him out you know there's there's options and I don't think you have to do anything too drastic the trading a Nylander you're never going to get fair value trading a Marner you almost can't and you're not losing your first or second line centers so yeah Tom, I'll let you go in just a second, but kind of what you were going off, Tom, like Austin Matthews is 23 years old and he has what, two 40 goal seasons under his belt. He's never scored less than what, 35 in a season. And how many seasons has he been hurt for a significant amount of time? Going back to 17, 18, 34 goals in 62 games. That's, is that over half a goal per game? Probably, right? If my math is correct, that's over half a goal per game. 18, 19, 37 goals in 68 games. Like, unbelievable. This year, if he if the season doesn't get paused, he hits 50. Like, no question. He hits 50 right? in his sleep. Like, it's – I think people tend to forget how young this Leafs team actually is. And don't get me wrong. I think they have flaws. Their forward group doesn't have any. I think you got the one-two punching Matthews Tavares. And you can say what you want about John Tavares. Like, the guy is really good. Um Again, you can say which one about Marner. 10.893 is a lot of money to pay for Mitch Marner. Don't get me wrong. And like you said, you're not going to win a Mitch Marner trade unless there's a team that can swallow $10.893 million. And who can, who can I mean, right now? There's a flat like, cap. Like Colorado, but like they're not going to trade Kill McCarr. Like, not a chance. Yeah, what do you ask back? Bowen Byron? They're not... No, because yeah, if, if you're trading Mitch Marner, you're not trading him for another forward. You're trading him for a defenseman. 
you which know, then you're, you're, you're not... taking away one of your biggest strengths to address one of your biggest weaknesses, which even I still think... there's stuff coming on the back end to help and address that. Yeah, I think that's where the Leafs have to primarily focus is on their back end. Like it's it's Ry- the back Riley, end. Muzzin, Riley Muzzin is good. Like Jake Muzzin, very good. Morgan Riley, there might be some flaws with it defensively, but like he's good. It's... You know, I think Justin Hall's a little overpaid for what he does, but he's a guy. He's two million then, bucks. Know. I don't yeah. this team can't but afford it, it, two million bucks, well, but just yeah, over two million bucks, I don't care. It's yeah. the like um, if it's you, the four to six million guys. Like which I don't know. Where is Janssen really a three point five or four million dollar player? When he's healthy, sure. When he's healthy, healthy, maybe he wasn't. That hurts. You traded a first round pick to get rid of Marlowe to sign him and he didn't play. That hurts. I think the I think the biggest question is a net. Like I don't think Freddie Freddie Anderson's a question mark. It's what they're gonna do with him. So like Thomas, I don't know, like do you think they get you they get rid of him or well, no, I just want to go back to the points we were both making, like what I want them to do. Like, I think this team, well, I, I don't think. It, it's literally, you can see what's happening there. They need to get better defensively. There's no question about it. And, you know, if, uh, Russo, you just mentioned that, you know, if Morgan Riley has flaws enough his his defensive game, get him maybe not the full value of a first-pairing defenseman, but find someone who could plug in there to help him out defensively and chip in offensively somehow. They tried to get Tyson Berry. didn't work. I love Tyson Berry, but he just did not work in Toronto. So that was yeah. an issue there. Cody CC was just, yeah, you know, you know, Cody was, that's, that that's done. One. we knew what that was going to be from when they traded Zaitsev for him. But then again, you traded four years of Zaitsev for one year of CC. I mean, yeah. I'd much rather have one year of CC. Yeah. And then um, what was I going to say? Like who, like, honestly, Going back to like when the like 16, 17, or even before that, who is Morgan Riley's best defensive partner been? Ron Hainsey. Ron Hainsey. Right? Like Ron Hainsey on his off wing, like a month away from turning 65. Yeah. And Literally. like I don't even think that's a dubious problem that like no GM, whether it was Burke, whether it was Nonis, whether it's Lamorello, or whether it was Dubis, no one has ever gotten Morgan Riley a defensive partner. No, it's and been like here's guy. Like it, wasn't it wasn't it Matt Honwick at one point? Yep. Yeah, Matt Honwick. Man, like he's never had a defense partner to play with, and also this year too. A lot of that was they brought in Tyson Berry. It didn't work right away. So what did they do to try to fix Tyson Berry? They took away Morgan Riley's power play minutes. Yeah. They. Wait, if you have a corner play, if you have a quarterback for a power play, why are you taking him off for another guy? This dude scored you know seventy I mean? points the year yeah. prior like <laughs> literally man yeah but i don't know i i, I want to talk about freddie though like because i love frederick anderson and like when he was on the ducks every single time the flames would play this guy it was like he would stand on his head like i can go back to that 14 15 playoff like the 15 playoffs when the flames sh- just shouldn't have been there and freddie anderson was a wall like <laughs> and then even when he went to toronto i remember like the first game the flames played against the leafs or the second game because Jonas Enroth played the first one. Like I was at that game. Like he was a wall, shut out the flames. And the next the next year I go, he scores one. Go- they score one goal on him. Then the, the year after that, like I think they scored two, and the third was an empty netter. Like you know, like I I think Freddie's really good. At thirty five million, he's a free agent after next year. They have a decision to make with Freddie, but like I don't know, are you realistically going to get better in net unless you're getting Darcy Kemper? 
I don't think there's any option that really appeals to the Leafs, right? Like, there's nobody in free agency you can go out and pay less or equal to Freddie Anderson. You can't afford no. to pay much more unless it's like six, six point five. Yeah. But and like, are you real? Like, if you're not going to sign Freddie long term, are you really going to sign Jacob Markstrom long term? They're the same age, or Markstrom might be a year older. Same age, different play styles. Uh, Markstrom fits Leafs a little bit more, where they're more hectic defensively, and he can sit there and be big yeah. and stop and stop pucks. Freddie moves around a little bit more, and he's a little bit more athletic. It saves him when it shoots him in the foot. It, I don't know. It depends. It's six one half dozen the other. Both goalies will be good enough on this team. I think Jacob Markstrom would be a little bit better, but. I'd rather just stick with Freddie. The team chemistry is there. Right. And then what you worry about in a year from now, what you're going to do in that probably, right? Yeah. You, that's a year from now problem yeah. is, do you think Joseph Wool's good enough? Can is Jack, Jack Campbell a little legitimate option? Can he be oh, yeah. a starter? Do you go one B one B? Yeah. Like a lot I of think teams that, this think, year did. I think that's what people are realistically talking about what they might do this year. Like, I think Jack Campbell's proved he can be that kind of guy. Jack like, Campbell he's not, can start you not, 30, 35 games. Yeah, he's not, he's not going to be a, a 55 game starter. No. Like, we just have to, we know that. He's almost, you know, but I think if you can, like, if the plan is to trade Freddie, you better hope you're finding a guy that fits well. Like, you better hope. Like, if, you're, if your option, if you trade away Freddie, is like bringing in, I'm just trying to think of a free agent, but can't tell it. No, like I don't know. Are you re- like? And I no. like Cam Talbot. Obviously, he was a flame this year, but no. And I, I don't necessarily think. Um, I'm just gonna look at free agent goalies. I just and I know I know there's a lot out there, especially also, this year. If you bring in a free agent goalie and you're looking at Markstrom or Holtby's on that list, right? Like, probably, and you like sign probably, one of them, you don't take the risk in trading Freddie to hope you sign one. You sign one and then you trade Freddie, because you can't risk trading Freddie and then having no replacement. So then you're just diminishing Freddie's value because everybody around the league goes, oh, look at these Leafs. They have absolutely no cap space and three goalies. Okay, great. Our asking price is nothing. Yeah. You're going to get nothing in return for him if you bring in somebody else first, which is what you would have to do. I think I found it, though. The Leafs are 100% signing Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> Man, just retire. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I think he's got one more year in him. I would take him as a backup. Oh, I'm sure he I, does. I, I, I just retire. Just never play for another team again. I know. That's what I'm thinking, too. Like, don't be Martin Brodeur on the Blues. I personally, I think Lundqvist has enough game left where if he can find a team that's willing to take him, like a, a legitimate contender, because Lundqvist hasn't won a cup. He came close in 2014. But if there's a team like, let's say, Vegas, if they trade Mark Andre Fleury and they keep Robin Leonard, if you get Henry Lundquist at like a mil, 1.5, as your backup, I mean, I, I would take that. I mean, I think Lundquist, I think you, I give him one year. I think I'm going to say he's going to try and chase a cup for one year, whether it's as a backup. Well, if, he, if he's going to be on a cup contender, it's going to be in a backup position. But I think he's going to try and go one year and try and find someone to win. And then if he doesn't win, then he'll hang him up. But Yeah, and that's where I'm saying just don't be so weird. Don't become a St. Louis Blue with a 899. 
Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. It's going to be really weird, though, seeing Lundqvist in a different jersey, huh? Just, you have your magazine photo shoots. You run New York as an athlete. Just sit hey, there. Be happy. Legacy. You had a great career. Find a job in their front office. Find a job in Switzerland or uh, Sweden's pro hockey system. Just don't play hockey for another team. But yeah, anyway. Don't make it weird on everybody. Lundqvist of the Leafs, I think, would be hilarious, but I don't necessarily see it happening. Um, like, I wouldn't yeah. mind it, but like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind it, but no. Um, but no, we talked about the moves we want to make for our team. How about you, Russo? Because I know you have a lot to say. I'm so conflicted on this hockey team because I know... Do I think the Calgary Flames are good enough to go and win a Stanley Cup next year? No, I, I don't think they are. I think they're still a few pieces away. And if the playoffs are anything of showing to come, like Mark Giordano's playoffs were worrying to me. I think he was fine in the regular season. No one ever thought he was going to have the Norris year he had last year. No one ever expected that. I, I did. Did I even expect him to put up fifty points? I even thought that was a bit of a stretch. Um, we knew, like I, I knew he wasn't going to have that type of year. Like you have to look at that Flames team in eighteen nineteen, and you look at every single player on that roster. They all had career seasons, right? Like the only guy that I can realistically see repeating what they did in eighteen nineteen are probably two guys, and that's Johnny Gaudreau. And that's Matthew Kachuk. They're two best players. Like, I, I'll get into Johnny Gaudreau in a bit, but like, what I'm basically getting at is: is this team a true contender? No, I don't think so. I don't think they have enough up front. I don't know if after this off season, is their defense going to be good enough? And I love David Riddick. They don't have a number one goalie. I think there's a ton of questions. Like, I'm just looking at their cap friendly right now, and like, I already knew this. Travis Hamannick, UFA, Derek, Derek Forbert, UFA, Michael Stone, UFA, Eric Gustafson, UFA, TJ Brody, UFA, Oliver Shillington, RFA. How many of those guys, guys? How many of those guys are coming back next year? Maybe one. And I hope to God it's TJ Brody. But like Would you Hamannick, sign TJ Brody for term at 30 years old, knowing that I think Johnny he gets four, up in two years. I think he gets a four or five year deal. That's what I personally think. And I don't think it's gonna be seven. But I, I just like this is what I would think is going to happen. Travis Hamannick's gone. I personally, he's gone. He's not coming back. Derek Forbert, he was so bad. Like he was brutal, and I hated when they traded for him because a fourth round pick for a guy who was like barely replacement level. It felt exactly like Oscar Oscar fan. But that's the point when you have Forbert, Michael Stone, oh, like, like Eric Gustafson. They're all just guys. There, like Michael Stone was brutal, and I was pissed when they brought him back. Eric Gustafson, I didn't mind at the time because, frankly, I didn't watch him enough to know what his deficiencies were. I already knew he was offensive, not very good defensively, but his his bread and butter was offense. And I watched him play like when they got him at the deadline, and I was just like, they gave up a third round pick for this guy. And then I watched him in the playoffs, and like it was just. You can see he's trying offensively, but like I'd much rather have just played Oliver Shillington instead of spending a pick because they're 
they're practically the same player, except Gustafson had 60 points a year ago and Shillington didn't. Because for whatever reason, the Flames coaching staff doesn't trust Oliver Shillington to play because this is two years in a row where they went into the deadline with Oliver Shillington in their third pair and they left the deadline with a guy who took his spot. And I don't know, that kind of pissed me off. Obviously, they didn't have Yusuf Alamaski this year who like 100% would have been on the team because he played 24 games a year ago and he looked great and then injury. Um, but yeah, defensively, like who do I look on the Flames roster that's under contract and go, that's a guy. Mark Giordano, we'll see how he comes back next season. He's 36 years old. And I you know, don't think you have hope for him. He had the no, he has I that think, play style where as soon as he starts to drop off, he's done. Yeah, and like I I don't know like did did his drop off already happen? Like was did he not play well because it was the playoffs in the middle of August, which we've never seen before? I don't know. Which also we adds to... into it because then you look at the first pause as coming back, and then this is a separate year in the age yeah. curve, and then you come back again, and that's another year in the age curve. Yeah, it's just, you know what, God bless Mark Giordano. He won a Norris at age 35, which is insane. Um, I love him. Like, I just, I don't know if he's going to be that guy you can lean on for 23 minutes a night. Noah Hannafin, like you guys know my thoughts on Noah Hannafin. He has all the tools. If you look at every Flames defenseman on the roster or in the system, I don't think there's an argument to be made that Noah Hannafin isn't the most skilled out of all of them. Because he is. I think he has every tool that a new age puck moving defenseman should have. He's got good hands. He can skate well, but like, I think he has a square brain or something <laughs> to be honest with you, because like I watch him play and I'm like, just, I remember there was a game against Dallas back in like December, which is like almost a year ago, which is crazy. But he had the puck. Like he went to go get it. Dallas was making a line change and he stood there with the puck behind his own net. Then a Dallas guy chased him. And then he lost it when he had at least 10 seconds to get the play, get the puck and make a play. And then that turned into like, like a, a 30 second shift for Dallas in the offensive zone. And like, I just, I look at him and I go, how did you go fifth overall? Like, and I understand why Carolina was so quick to move on from him. Um, but he's one of your three defensemen under contract. Like I yeah. don't think you can move him. Unless you absolutely know Yusuf Alamaki is going to be healthy and you know he's going to be really good. Um, I want him to get traded for a forward. But until you know what you have in Yusuf Alamaki, I don't think they're going to trade him unless they're absolutely sure that Alamaki can play in a top four position, which I definitely think he will if he doesn't get injured. And that's been his problem the last three years is that uh, his last year in junior, he had a major injury. Last year, he had the high ankle sprain that kept him out all year. And then this year, he didn't even play a game because he tore his ACL, I think. Yeah, that's terrible. It was one of the two. Like, like he's 22, 20. He's, how old is he? He's like 21 years old, right? Bellamacki. I can't yeah, he's 21. Yeah, 21, like, has all the talent in the world. But injuries, like, that's kind of scary. And then the last defenseman that's under contract, Rasmus Anderson, unbelievable. Like, I love this guy. He's, he's so good. Like, I watch him play, and I was really mad at the beginning of 1819 when they sent him back to Stockton to start the year. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Because he was like, he, he was the, one of their six best defensemen. And they decided to trade Brett Kulak and keep Michael Stone. And they set Rasmus Anderson down. 
But then Travis Hammond got injured in the first game of the season. And immediately he's brought back up. And ever since his first game of the season that year, it was against the Nashville Predators. He's gotten better every single game. Like I watched him play in the playoffs. He was playing with a broken foot. Like, and he didn't even look any different. He was scoring big goals. He was making big plays. Like he's only getting better. And they have him signed at four and a half million dollars till 2026. Which is very good. Steal. Like for what he's going to provide, he's 23 years old. He has all the makeup of a top pairing defenseman. So I ask you a question, and I, I think this is the way to go, but do you just kind of throw Rasmus Anderson in a number one defenseman role next year? Well, if TJ Brody doesn't come back, yeah, 100%. He's, he's played with Mark Giordano before, and he's done very well with Mark Giordano before. So I, I don't see any reason as to why you can't. The, the big thing was when Travis Hamnick didn't come back, like he got injured in – I want to say it was February, and he didn't play another game for the Flames. And then he didn't come back for the play-ins. Rasmus Anderson was playing that top four role from basically February on, and he looked great. And then he's had times where he's been playing with Mark Giordano, and he's looked great. Um, I only think the, the sky's the limit for the guy. I don't see a way in which you know he fails there unless something happens. But I'd be perfectly content if Rasmus Anderson is my number one right-shot defenseman next year given he's the only right-shot defenseman the Flames have. Under okay. contract for you. Under so contract. Then, here's the, the other only, question. The only other guy that the Flames have in their system that's a right-handed shot defenseman is Alex Yellison, who played like three games, and Johannes Schinval, okay, so who's, going, who's, who's going overseas next year. Okay, so they have nobody. So then so have nobody. <laughs> my next question is to you. Do you try to sit this out for two years and hope that this team gets significantly better before you, Johnny Gaudreau walks in free agency and you have to pay Matthew Kachuk bigger money and then Monaghan yeah, has one year left and I don't, back when he's that, older. Or a, do you try to retool, do what the Rangers did and start building around Rasmus Anderson and all the younger guys like Dylan Dubé, Sam Bennett even to an extent. Uh, and then come back. Even Sean Monaghan's twenty five and has three yeah, like, years. I'm looking, I'm looking at Johnny Gaudreau. He's twenty seven. Like that's on. Like I look at me. He still looks fourteen years old to me. But <laughs> I, I'm again. Like I said it earlier. I'm so conflicted because I don't know. Because I want them to do it. Like to be completely honest, I want them to do what the Rangers did because they have some young pieces where they can turn this around in two or three years. Matthew Kachuk is a superstar, or maybe not a superstar, but he's really damn good. He can get there. I think Dylan Dubé is going to be awesome. Do I think he's going to be like a first-line left winger? No, I think he I think he tops out if he hits his absolute potential as a top-six winger. Um, I love Andrew Mangiapane. I think he's great. Um, but other than that, like Sam Bennett's 24, Derek Ryan's 33, like Elias Lindholm, you could probably afford to keep around. But then in the system, there's like nothing. Like Jacob Peltier is probably your number one guy. Um, I don't really consider Yusuf Valamaki a prospect anymore, just because of just because of how many games he's played. And in goal, obviously it's Dustin Wolf, who's your hopefully your number one guy moving forward. But I don't know. I look at the system and it's like it's so bare. Like I saw, was it Craig Button's like top prospects for the Flames, and he had Connor Mackey at two. 
Yeah, I saw that. He's 24 years old. Yeah, and he there's and nothing. So and he was a college free agent. Like, do people like? I don't know what people like. I've never seen him play. And but he's a college free agent. He's 24. If he becomes a bottom pairing NHL defenseman, amazing, because you got him for free. Yeah, but, and then that's also the other problem. Is it's like this team, what you have, you can't do much more with it. Oh, and that's the other problem because you have all these contracts. Okay, like let's like let's look realistically. Matthew Kachuk sticking around. Johnny Gaudreau, we'll see. I don't want them to trade him, but if you're going to Rangers route, you kind of have to. You have to, um, and I think you should. And somebody's going to pay for him, and then you yeah. recoup assets to try again under a new group of guys of Anderson and, hopefully- and Kachuk. Yeah. The problem is I don't trust Bradtree living to trade Johnny Gaudreau. <laughs> I don't like. But this is the guy who traded two elite defensemen in Dougie Hamilton and Adam Fox for a top six right winger in Elias Lundholm, who at the time was a 40-point guy playing on Carolina's third line, and an unproven defenseman, Noah Hannafin. Thank God it worked out the first year. Like, okay, sure, like, great, but, like, Lindholm I think is fine. Like, I don't want people to think I have an issue with Elias Lindholm, because I don't. I think he's fine. Um, I don't think he's a number one right winger. Like I think last year was definitely, it was it was it was an outlier year. He's never going to do what he did last year ever again. No, scoring. No, where I feel Elias Lindholm is going to be best as sort of like that second line, even almost a really good third liner, but because he plays wing and he can take faceoffs, you do yeah, that. Like Jamie Ben Joe Pavelski route, like Dallas didn't. It was like yeah, I, you have Ben Sagan or Sagan and uh, Pavelski, and it just doesn't matter what you, who the actual center is, no, just whoever no. has their strong side. You do that, and I really do yeah. like that. Well, they, well, they've been doing that with Monahan and Lindholm, where they take their face off on their strong sides. But what I've also seen people say is they can trade Sean Monahan for whatever and make Elias Lindholm your number one center. If Elias Lindholm's your number one center, you're going to get trucked. <laughs> like, because he's never played center full-time in this league. He came into Carolina, and I'm pretty sure he played the wing, like, his whole career. And then he came to Calgary, and he played the wing. And he played, like, I think he played, like, 30 games at center this year. And I don't know why people tend to think he can play that as a full-time position. Maybe as a second-liner. But I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see Elias Lindholm as that kind of player. I see him as a player who needs someone else. He's very he's very much relatable to Sean Monaghan, where you kind of need a guy to push him. Because Johnny Gaudreau's been that guy for Monaghan's entire career, right? Like, and I don't mean to bash Monaghan here, but, I mean, he had 82 points a year ago, and go look at any of his goals. Johnny Gaudreau's in on pretty much all of them. Yeah, okay. You know? So where do you see this team next year? I mean, if they if they stay with the plan, I don't know. It's probably a lot like this year where they're battling to get into the playoffs and they're probably going to get bounced in round one. I mean, so then your still, other option is you is start I think blowing it up. This is what I really think is going to happen. They're going to try and make moves this offseason. I don't think Brad Trillium is going to trade Johnny Gaudreau. I know Eric Francis wants him to trade Johnny Gaudreau, but I don't think they're actually going to do it. Um, I think they're going to stay the course. I think they might try and get some more firepower up front and they might try and sign a defenseman or two because they're going to have to. Um, I think they're going to try one more year with this core. I legitimately think they're going to try one more year. And then in a year, if we're in the same spot, I think it's going to be a fire sale. I think John is going to be gone. 
Monahan's going to be gone. They got to find a way to move Lucic. So one more so year of it. One more year of mediocrity. Yeah. One more year so, of we'll look for it next year yeah, and see what happens. Yeah, I, I genuinely think that's what's going to happen. Unless, unless something changes between now and the draft from a week from now, I don't know. I don't. I just. I don't see it. I don't see them. I don't see Bradtree living as that guy to do it because he's promised us so much over the last few years. Like I remember at when the 2019 deadline a year ago, like I think he said he wanted to go out and he wanted that a game changer and Mark Stone was available and he didn't pony up the assets to do it. And then he fell short on Jason Zucker. And then in the summer he said, we're going to make changes. And then he missed out on Nazem Kadri. And then he traded for Milan Lucic. And then this year after he traded Michael for leak for cap space, he, I have the quote, he said, we don't plan on keeping this money in our pockets. We plan to spend it. And then they went out and they got Eric Gustafson and Derek Forbert. Given, I think that was the right call. Because I remember at the time I was saying like Tyler Toffoli, but I knew with this team that they weren't going to go anywhere. So keeping the assets was the right move. But like, you get what I'm saying. Bradshaw Living isn't the type of guy to do this. And I think this is his core. He's had four coaches now. I think this is going to be probably the last year where it's on the players. And then if they're in the same spot, two things are going to happen. Bradtree Living is going to lose his job and it's going to be a fire sale because they're going to bring in a new GM who's going to hopefully see what's going on and say, okay, 2022, Shane Wright's available. Let's go for it. Well, and that sucks for the fan base. That's a slap in the face. Yeah, because we've been promised all this over the last decade. Where, you know, when Jay Feaster was here, you know, he said Mark Jankowski would be the best player out of the 2012 draft. And it's like you had Tevu Teravine and Andre Vasilevsky, um, Thomas Hurdle sitting there, and they traded down to take this guy. And then when Bradtree Living got here, you know, he showed like what I will give Bradtree Living credit for is he got value for some guys. Like the RFA signings, I will give him full credit on because he did a phenomenal job with it. Getting Johnny Gaudreau at six seven five, like remember when the World Cup of Hockey was happening? Yeah, and they were saying, and, and, they, and and when they were like on the panel, every time Johnny Gaudreau got a point, they were like his contract just went up by five hundred thousand. I was convinced he was getting like eight mil, and then he signed two days before the season at six seven five. Pretty cap friendly deal. Oh, it's un- unbelievable. And then you know Sean Monahan at six three is fine. Um, you know Elias Lindholm at four eight is good. All um, your guys are signed fine. It's the yeah, direction the GM has to go in. Anderson contracts are great. The problem is when Brad Trillov has gone into free agency, he's made some bad moves. We can start in 2016 when he signed Troy Brower. Um, I believe it was the summer of 2015 when he signed Mason Raymond. Uh, and then you go back to obviously summer 2018 when he signed James Neal. The James Neal contract never made sense to me because I get it. I get what they were trying to do. They were like 28th in goal scoring in the 17-18 season. They couldn't score to save their lives. Outside of Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Kachuk, they couldn't score to save their lives. But they were like, okay, we brought in Lindholm. We need a guy to score. And I get where the thinking went into James Neal. I really do. My big problem with it was they gave him 5 7 five over a five-year deal. And remind me who was an RFA the upcoming summer. Who is their big RFA to sign? I can't remember. Matthew Kachuk. Oh, right. And we all knew, I remember I knew, and I think a lot of other people did, is that he was going to be this team's highest paid forward. We all knew it. It was going to happen. 
and Bradtree Living put himself in a put himself in a in a corner. And because everyone hated James Neal and that the fact that he only scored seven goals when he was here, then they then moved him for a guy who, you know, you can say whatever you want. If Lucic is better, if Neal's better, you can say whatever you want. They both they're, suck. Both, they're, they're both bad players. And now you're stuck with a Lucic contract given your saving was it five hundred thousand? But now he has a no trade. So like you can't move him, even if you wanted to. And you can't buy him out because you're barely gonna save any money. And the owner's already cheap as it is. So I mean, I don't know. I and again I'll go back to the Dougie Hamilton trade. <laughs> there we go. I think it was from that point on is where you know you kind of saw it going downhill. Yes, they had the great year that followed, but now you're seeing the repercussions of it. Imagine imagine in a world Adam Fox signs and Dougie Hamilton is happy because apparently the rumors is he wasn't happy, which I doubt because they've said that everywhere he's gone and he's in Carolina now and he's fine. Your right side basically consists of Hamilton, Anderson, Adam Fox. You never have to make the trade for Travis Hamannick. Well, I mean, they already did, which was a mistake on its own. Um, you can't afford to walk away from TJ Brody. You didn't have to trade Brett Kulak. You know, it's, it, there's a lot of things that play into it. And like, he's made some bad trades over the years. Like the Hamannick one and the Hamilton one are probably the two heads of that. Um, yeah. I just, I think it's going to be literally legitimately. I think it's going to be one more year and then we'll see. I mean, if they break through in a year, great. Do I see it happening? Not a chance. No. I think so. We'll if, see you in the next, we, see you next year in this exact same position as you were this year and the year yeah. previous and the year previous. But I'll and you're finish. gonna fix that by drafting players, which you don't have many picks. Uh, this well, year they have their yeah. own first or own second. They might have Edmonton's third, depending on if Edmonton wants to give it up. And sure that... No fourth, but they have San Jose's. They have San Jose's fourth, our own fifth, our own sixth, our own seventh. So, um, I will end it by saying this: What is the Flames' most glaring need? It's a number one center. It's a number one center. And how do you get number one centers? You have to draft them. You either have to draft them or you have to steal them in a trade like the St. Louis Blues did with Ryan O'Reilly, which it's it's not going to happen anymore. Like, I think teams are going to make, okay, we're not giving up. Like, if, if for whatever reason, Jack Eichel becomes avail- available, you're not trading Sean Monaghan and, like, two other guys to get him. It's going to cost you a lot. So, I mean, if if you really need that number one center, like, man, Shane Wright, He's there in two years. You're gonna have to draft it, but that's that's the way you have to look at all the. I don't know. You gotta players. do something with this core, and there's more prospects in the pipeline, and by that I mean like the NHL pipeline that could help then you better are. than what the Flames that's have good. now or what they could yeah. potentially upgrade. Yeah, and you know what? Like, like I said, you're not you're not trading for a number one center. Like, no. No, the Flames, no team, the Flames no finally team. have picks. They finally yeah. have picks. They finally have first yeah. rounders and second rounders and third rounders. Yeah. Like they I haven't remember, in years past. Put those yeah. to good use and get value on your Gaudreau's when you have the opportunity to, like now. Yeah. And look, it, they might trade Gaudreau this summer. And if they do, they better get some good stuff for him. Because if they trade him to Philly, because that's where it seems like everyone thinks he's going to go. If they trade him to Philly and you're getting like Morgan Frost back, you failed. That ain't worth it. No. no. And you better be getting close to what Mark Stone got. And that's a legitimate top prospect. Or what even what the Habs got for Max Pacioretty. 
that's probably closer to what the Flames will get than maybe Mark Stone. Okay, so just a quick question, and just answer this quickly because then we have to do our next subject. Is this, I guess I'm kind of focusing this on Johnny Goudreau in a bit. Is this kind of like if this doesn't work out and the, they don't make the playoffs or win the Stanley Cup in the next two years with him and he leaves, let's just say that. Is this sort of like a Phil Kessel scenario in Toronto where it was like an era wasted? I think so, yeah, because you have this you have this winger who's their best player since Troy McGinley. Like, we're not even going to argue that. It's just a fact. And he's put together, like, 2017-18 and 2018-19 were heart-caliber seasons for Johnny Gaudreau. I don't think anyone will argue that. The team just, especially in 17-18, just wasn't good. Um, I, I think it is. And unless you you get incredible value back for Johnny Gaudreau, which I don't know if Bradshaw Living is capable of. It kind of is. And you know what? And then you got to figure out what you're going to do. Um, what I will say is the failures this team has had is not because of Johnny Gaudreau. No. It's because of the rest of the team. And I know people are going to look at last year against Colorado and that he only had two points. But like, did people not watch the playoffs this year? Like, he was fine. Like, his line mates went MIA. Like, Monaghan wasn't good. Lindholm wasn't good. And then the, he was with Tobias Reeder. Like, like, come on, you know? So, yeah, I, I think I've said a lot on the Flames. So we're going to have a lot of time to talk about it this summer. Especially, <laughs> yeah. Especially if they do, or summer, whatever I think it's September. There's off season. Um, yes. And we'll, like, if they trade Johnny Gaudreau, then I can rant about that. But, um, yeah, I think we should get into the draft. Yeah. We'll do that quickly because we're already at 58 minutes. But um, the draft is next week. It's probably the best draft since 2015. Am I wrong in saying that? It's a pretty solid one. I mean, yeah. it's quite deep in terms of the like 1 to 15-ish range yeah. are all sort of higher than they have been in years past, especially with next year's draft is not looking to be quite as strong or at least one of the weaker ones of recent memory. But I definitely do think this draft has a lot of potential to be, like you said, one of the best ones since 2015. I don't necessarily think it has the McDavid Eichel factor. No. Lafreniere is going to be really good, like really good. But I don't think he's going to be McDavid. I I don't even know if he's going to be Eichel good. But um, Um, I guess we should. That's one hell of a player. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not disagreeing with that. I think he's incredible. And I think he's going to be incredible. I don't. Will he be like? What? Like, will he even be Jack Eichel? But maybe. I, I think people think you could very him. much look out for yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he. I mean, Jack Eichel is incredible, and I, I. I do think people still underrate the hell out of him. But, I mean, all right. You know, we'll see. I think, like I said, I love Lafreniere. His performance at the World Juniors, like, whew, like it. He really took almost, that team on his back. Oh, like it's amazing how much a year can do, huh? Like, remember yeah. watching the last World Juniors and, like, it just seemed like he shouldn't have been there. Game of like, the 13th forward, the 12th forward. You can even kind of compare. Remember McDavid's first World Junior? He was, like, the 13th forward, Connor McDavid. And then, and then the next came, year and just... Came out a year later was a god. And he then steps you can onto say, the ice and it's just, I am here now, this is my ice. I am going <laughs> yeah, first literally. Yeah, and, like, I think the thing that impressed me most, most of a Lafreniere was, like, I didn't realize how much of a tank that kid was. Like I, I, it was a game against the states, like the first one. Big boy. Guess, you know, like he really he knows really, how to use. Like he's he not was, the biggest. No, but like he's fast and he can like throw kids. Like 
he was launching guys. It was scary. Like I'm like, holy, like this kid's gonna be he's gonna be a player. He knows like, how to use his leverage really well, especially in the yeah, corners and in front of the net and going up just one on one battles. No, he's very he's very much a winger that plays the game like a center. Yeah. Like I think and, and he's really able to control the game from the wing. And I think that's why all three of us have them or have Lafreniere as our number one overall oh, pick. Yeah. Like pretty much everybody else does. Yeah, I don't. I, if you don't have Lafreniere one, I mean. And I think the yeah. question's more in the two-three spot. Do you pick Byfield? Yeah. Do you pick Stutzel? One last thing on Lafreniere. We said he controls the game like a center. He it almost is like how Artemi Panarin controls the game on the, off the wing. Because you watched Artemi Panarin play, like he controls that yep. game off the wing, and Kucherov too, I guess. But. Yeah, um, yeah. Getting into the 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 you know from two to we're gonna do top ten. So going into two, well, two of us are in agreement. There's one who isn't. Tom, why don't you take that away as to why you have who you have at number two? So in the number two slot to the Los Angeles Kings, I have Tim Stutzel. Now a lot of people have Quentin Byfield. And although I can agree with that, and a lot of what you're buying with him is promise and hype of actually living up to his, he could challenge Lafreniere for the number one spot in this draft, which he clearly hasn't. Um, I think LA goes with uh, Stutzel over Byfield more because he is the winger, Byfield is the center, and although Byfield, Kopitar would be really nice down the middle. They have a lot of other center prospects that are right. projecting to that 2-3 slot. And I just think Tim Stutzel's he's he uses his size better than Byfield does. Byfield almost bullies other kids playing on Sudbury to like, this is my ice, I am here because I am big and better than you. Stutzel plays against men with Mannheim in the German League as... Like against men, he yeah. has learned to compete at a higher level than Byfield, and he's shown that he can go into corners, do all the work, go into dirty areas. But he's also has the speed. He also has the ability to to win those one on one battles, get pucks to his teammates, take them back from his teammates, and shoot and score, and do everything the whole ice really well. Whereas Quentin Byfield hasn't really shown that. It's more the promise that's there, which is why I have him going third to Ottawa. And I think they could really use Byfield as their bonafide number one center, which yeah. I really do believe he will be. Just With Brady Kachuk and... Yeah, with yeah. Kachuk on his wing, Colin White, throw him on first line, wing, second line, center, whatever you want to do with Colin White. And then figure out how to fill in the other 17 roster spots you have open. <laughs> but yeah. Well, yeah. We'll get into it. Like I have Quentin Byfield at number two, along with Thomas. My reasoning is it's pretty simple. I think Byfield is that good. I don't think people have necessarily put enough respect towards Quentin Byfield. I think a lot of people watched his world junior and thought, uh, this kid's a bum, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't think the, I, and I, I know we all probably think this, the world juniors is not a good way to evaluate a prospect. 
at all. No. <laughs> because it's such a small sample size on such a large scale. Like, and, you know, like, imagine you had watched Connor McDavid and Max Domi play in the 2015 World Juniors. I remember my uncle said, screw this McDavid kid. This Domi guy is where it's at. And, like, you know what I mean? Always, he was always listen to your uncle. Always yeah. listen to your uncle. No, I always know what's best. I, mean, I don't think the World Juniors is a good way to evaluate. I mean, if you would watch Alexi, imagine, because Alexi Lafreniere is a late birthday. He would have, like, gone number one easily if he had gone in last year's draft. He would have been overused. Yes. Um, I think even but, 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 you but could... people. You have an argument for Byfield and Stutzel as well, challenging for that. Oh, oh 100%. But, like, what I was going to get to is that if you would watch an Alexis Lafreniere play at the 2019 World Juniors, you would have thought, or the 2018 World Juniors, you would have thought, this guy's nothing. Which is why I think a lot of people are down on Byfield, is just because they watched the World Juniors. Yeah, and, and I, I think even... a lot of what happened to was Stutzel just all of a sudden crept up and crept up. Yeah, and people went Byfield. Almost... I don't buy into this hype, and then people overbought yeah, it, the Stutzel hype, and that's it's very it's very Nico Heischer like, yeah. very very similar. Yeah, right? but also where's um, Nolan Patrick now? Injuries. Yeah, no, but... no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not playing down Nico. I love Nico Heischer. Right? Yeah, I freaking love him. you guys know. But what I'll get to with Byfield, I don't know. I think he should be talked about more in the range of Lafreniere than he should be dropping because yes, I don't know the speed the size, the hands, the skill, he can figure out the physical game. And I know you said he's a big man that plays a small game. He can figure that out. I think, you and know, think like, he's going to have to. Lucky, yeah, luckily enough, he has Anze Kopitar there. Oh, exactly, right? Like, like the thing is, he's 17 years old. Or he's, eight, he's, he's probably 18 now. This is a guy that when he figures that part of that game out, he's going to be a monster. And... I think you're going to be looking at Byfield as a guy. Why didn't they talk about him in the range of Lafreniere? You know, it may not happen, but I would be very surprised if it didn't. And I think if you're the Kings, you can't pass up the chance to get a, a potential number one center when Anze Kopitar leaves. Because I know you said the Kings have a lot of two, three guys. They don't have a number one guy. Velarde's very good. Um, is it Turcotte? Yes. It's Turcotte. Yeah, I, I keep getting him mixed up with the other guy who went to the Ducks. Um, Zegras? Yes, Zegras, that's the guy. I always get them two mixed up. But you got Turcotte, you got, you know, those guys. Are any of them really going to be number one centers? I don't know. I don't think so. Byfield is very much that guy. And if we haven't, if, if we haven't learned anything over the past five, ten years, what do you need in the NHL to win a Stanley Cup? That's our number one center. The Kings know it. They had Kopitar through both of their runs. So, I don't know. I got Byfield at two, and I know Thomas, you have Byfield at two as well. Yeah, I also have Byfield. Just what Russo said, I mean, that, like, what bigger center do you want to learn from than Anze Kopitar if you want to learn a big game? Like, he's one, literally one of the best exemplary of that. The big center, two-way, and that's a perfect guy to learn from if Quinton Byfield goes to the Kings. So, yeah, I think you just can't pass up on that t- opportunity to get that centerman in that slot. No. Um, then we have Stutzla at three. And this wasn't putting down Stutzla. I just, I've watched the play of the World Juniors, and that's really all I've watched of him. Um, but just going by all the reports and everything I've read about him, he's going to be a player for sure. And I think the Sens, if they get him at three, it's, it's a scary kind of thing that they're going to have. Because 
if I'm not mistaken, he could play center as well, correct, Tom? Yeah, I think that was uh, that was something else. I think I remember Tom saying he can't play the, uh, center. I think we lost Tom. Don't know why we lost Tom, but I think we lost him. Um, I guess we'll wait for him to come back, and then he can quickly go over his top ten. Uh, you, while Thomas, you go through the rest of it, we'll just go through it really quick. Yeah, so with the Sens, the Sens have two picks, obviously, if you're living on a rock right now. They have two picks in the top ten. That's been kind of the talk in the NHL. If they kind of F up on these two picks, that'd be pretty damn embarrassing. But the Sens have three and five. But then before that is the Detroit Red Wings who got absolutely robbed in this lottery yeah. thing. Yeah. Absolutely robbed. I mean, right. they should be having Alexis Lafreniere right now on do. their top win. And then instead, I have in that position Cole Perfetti. Yep. I mean, another another center to add to their team. They already have Dylan Larkin. I think Cole Perfetti would be a good guy. He could challenge the number one center spot, but I think he's a good number second line center behind Larkin if Larkin does want to stay on the Detroit Red Wings. I don't know when they're going to get better, but See, and I think that's Cole Perfetti. Also, my oh, issue. Yeah. yeah, hi. Uh, that's also my issue. Like, I see Dylan Larkin a lot of the same way I see like Sean Monaghan, where right. that's the number one center. Uh, you need something else. Like, yeah, right. He's, 100%. He's very good center. He's not very good number one center. No. And I think Detroit got screwed here where they're in a position to you have to draft a Perfetti or a Holtz or a Drysdale or a Raymond where or you're not getting your Lafreniere Stutzler byfield. No. Yeah. And, and then, uh, I also have Perfetti at four. The reason yeah, I think, do I think Perfetti should go fourth? No. No. I, there's some guys I like better than Cole Perfetti. I like Marco Rossi a little bit better than Cole Perfetti. I like uh, Raymond and Holtz, even Lundell maybe. The reason I have Perfetti at four, it seems there seems to be some kind of link. Obviously, he played in Saginaw, but from all the reports we've seen. It seems like Detroit is really honed in on Perfetti. Might not happen. And this is not me also putting down Perfetti. I think he's very good. I just think there's better guys. But I do have Perfetti at four as well. I think uh, there's just nothing special about Perfetti. Like, I don't know. There's nothing there that sort of wows me in his game. Or that you can't get better or equal to with other better attributes in different prospects. But just I think Detroit picks them based on Detroit wants Cole Perfetti, and they're going to have that option because none of the top three are going to drop out. Yeah, it's funny that they might do that with Perfetti, but they had Quinn Hughes <laughs> right there, and they didn't take him. Yeah. Like, I know because it's the NFL, but, yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, moving on, um, the Sens again. We're, I think we all have different picks for the Sens. Do we not? Oh, no, you guys both have Holtz. Do you guys have Holtz? I have Marco Rossi. I love Marco Rossi. I think they're we're going to be looking back at his draft saying, steal Marco Rossi. He's got everything. I think it's just his size that are maybe scaring some people away. But I think Marco Rossi is going to be a hell of a player. And if you're the Sens getting Stutzla and Rossi, yeah, you're going to have yourself a team. Yeah, and I think how many times have we said, oh, he's too small, and then look at him now. And now look at Braden Point. Look at Braden Point. Even Mitch Marner was too small. Look at Mitch Marner now. Yeah. Like Johnny Gaudreau. Johnny Gaudreau. Those are all really good players, and you take them on your team. Yeah. Um, and you were, worst comes to worst. I mean, if Marco Rossi can't perform at an elite level in the center role, you switch him to wing. Yeah. It's easier to put a center to a wing than a wing to center. Exactly. Especially Obviously. in this draft where a lot of the centers, I think, and will end up being wingers. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, even go down like Connor Zari. Yeah. All those types of guys, like those are all gonna be wingers, probably in the end. You guys both have Holtz. I have very well Holtz. Goal scorer out of this draft. Holtz is definitely the best goal scorer in this draft. Uh, Thomas, I'll let you speak to that first because I do not have the Sens picking this, and everybody else yeah. does. So you got to explain that right after I do this. But uh, Alexander Holtz is 18 years old. He's a pretty big. He's an all. He's he's an all right body. I mean, he's six foot and he can score goals like the wind. But like Alexander Holtz, I don't think you can pass up this opportunity. Like Ottawa, they need goal scoring on their team. And I think this is a guy you can pick, and he's going to solve that problem for your team. And then, so obviously, we had Tim Stutzel go there on my three pick. And then just adding two wingers slash maybe a center in Stutzel is just adding a lot more offense to that naked offense of the Senators there. So I think Alexander Holtz has to go top five. And if he drops in the top five, I'd be surprised. So Yeah, and I think I'm a lot of the same way. I actually got to watch him in Sweden, um, and he's just – such a special player he's just so smart uh with the puck and he really knows what to do and his shot's really good but a lot of the time uh we brought up phil kessel earlier right. on the other end of this phil kessel what an amazing passer like yep and i see Pandering. a lot of that too it gets no credit for it and i think that's a lot of the same thing alexander holtz magnificent shot probably best in the draft he has some of the best passing ability in this draft as well yeah, but also to my Every... point, I do not have Ottawa drafting him. I think Ottawa trades the pick down, like it was reported by Pierre LeBrun, I believe. Um, so I have a team like I was looking. Nashville has extra seconds and thirds to move up, and I think they could really use a guy like Holtz or even a Lucas Raymond if they so choose. Um, but other than that, nobody really has assets. New Jersey wouldn't. Buffalo wouldn't. Minnesota wouldn't, and then I think that's really all that would actually move up. Although I do think it would be better if Ottawa used all of their seconds and thirds and started throwing assets at teams to try to move up into the top 15 to draft a scar of. I think they really need a goalie. They don't have one at all in the pipeline. And if you have the chance to draft a scar of, and then you look at all of the goalies in the Metro, especially all of the Russian goalies that have just shown up, and yeah. the Metro Thunderdome of goalies. Yeah, I think Ottawa yeah. has a chance to pick one up for not a big loss on their part in terms of asset management to where it could really help them in the long run because there's nothing I can really see them doing. Uh, attracting a free agent, finding a goalie late in the draft. I think they have to get a scare off. And I hope they trade down with the pick. Not up. And well, I hope they trade up, but I think they trade down. Yeah. And um, then whoever just... trades up, Alexander Holtz. Yeah. So um, we have our top five. Let's just each quickly run down from five to ten. Uh, we won't really do many much explanation because we've already been rambling on for a little bit. Uh, so from five to ten, I got the Ducks taking uh, Jamie Drysdale at six. Or I should have meant I should have said six to ten. Um, I got the Ducks taking Jamie Drysdale. They probably need defensemen. Same Drysdale's here. I don't. Draft. I don't see Drysdale uh, slipping past the Ducks. No, neither do I. Um, at eight, seven, seven, I got the Devils taking Lucas Raymond, which would be 
You know, you can add in the Hughes, Heischer, Jesper Bratt. It's scary. Um, that becomes eight, scary. That's where I'm at as yeah, well. Scary. Um, at eight, I got the Sabres taking Alex Holtz. You guys already, already explained it, but if you can give Alex Holtz, if you can give Jack Eichel Alex Holtz, um, yeah, it's that would be really good for the Sabres. Um, at nine, I got the Minnesota Wild taking Anton Lundell. Things might change on that front because they did just get um, Marcus Johansson, but I don't really think that should change things. Anton Lundell could end up being the best center out of this draft. He's that good. Um, and at nine, he might be a steal. At 10, I kind of got a wild card. I got the Jets taking Seth Jarvis. I think Seth Jarvis, he's a guy I really want for the Flames to get at 19. He's not going to fall that far. Uh, right-handed shot, speed. He doesn't have a lot of size, not very big, but like we said, it doesn't seem like size is an issue these days. Um, Holtz had a really, really good year um, this year in the WHL for Portland. I believe that's where he played Portland. Um, he's really good, and I, I think if the Jets get him at 10, um, I think they'd be pretty happy. So me and you have the same up until the Sabres picking and that's where i have marco rossi slipping where i believe you had holtz we just had those flipped um i have the wild taking jake sanderson because he's a defenseman and if everything's true i believe they're gonna trade dumbo and then that jake sanderson will be able to step into that void within the next year or two and replace him and he is quite a defenseman and then uh finnepeg takes Anton Lindell, perfect 2C for the future behind Mark Shifley. Him and Shifley? Him and Shifley together. What a riser Anton Lindell should be over the last month. He's been really scary over there in Finland. And that rounds out my top 10. Yeah, and then basically more the same for me. Uh, Jamie Drysdale to the Ducks. Devils get Lucas Raymond. Sabres get Marco Rossi. have a bit lower than Russo, but Think they need a guy behind Jack Eichel, don't you think? And Anton Lindell to the Wild, I think that they need forwards. I mean, they just got Kalen Addison in the Zucker trade, so maybe Sanderson's not the way to go, but it's not a dumb way to go. Uh, just point. even more defensemen. But Anton Lindell to the Wild, they need centermen because they just traded a like they think they're getting Marcus Johansson in at center. I don't think he's a centerman, so <laughs> might as well draft one. And then uh, to the Winnipeg Jets, I kind of have a surprise here, Jack Quinn. He's not the fastest guy, but apparently his shot's really, really good. Scored a lot of goals in Ottawa. Ottawa. Exactly, and that's beside Marco Rossi, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Right. A lot of Nolan Foote, Jack Quinn. Maybe not as good as Nolan Foote, but the shot. Yeah, it's pretty damn good. Very reminiscent of Nolan Foote. But, um, yeah, I think this draft is going to be – I think they're like – none of our top tens I don't think are going to be right, but – it, no. It's a stupid. It's a stupid good draft. Like it's a really good draft. It's it's like, one of those where everything past three is sort of a wild card, and right. wherever wh- whoever wants to take somebody, and then there's always going to be someone that takes a player from the tier down and throws everybody's draft boards off. Yeah. Right. Like, so basically, with the wings, they were more exciter a year yes. ago. Yes. Or you look or, at Philip Zadina just dropping and dropping and yeah, dropping. Yeah. Jones back in twenty. 20- 13, kind yep. of, not really, but... It should be fun. It should be a very interesting draft. Especially being it all online, which will be a lot of fun. I hope there's a lot of trades. Well, this is this is a draft I didn't think I really have to pay attention to, me and Tom being Leaf fans, because we didn't have a pick in the first round. And, we and didn't yet, think here we possible. are. 
Yeah, and yeah. they're drafting in the first round. Which, so real quick, 15th, who do you guys want? Skarov. <laughs> I think. I, I kind of said that too, not going to lie. That fixes your Freddy problem. Yeah, later that's in the... One year, you let Freddy walk, there you go. That's your, that's your fix. Hopefully, he's that good, and if it's if the hype's to be believed, then you look at a lot of a Carter Hart thing where just all of a sudden he shows up and he is your starter. Yeah, yeah. if not a Skaroff, get a defenseman. Yep. yep. So if Sanderson can drop. Sanderson might drop. I don't think he will. Brandon Schneider, I think, is there. I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, Jake yep. Neighbors, and there's Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley as well. I see a lot of like just back and forth on Gooley. Some people say he's good, some people say he's not. Frankly, I don't know enough about him. Um, at 19, for the yeah, first, what's your team taking? There's there's a few guys that I think might fall into that range. My big wish is Seth Jarvis. I don't think he's going to be there at 19. I don't think considering you have him at 10, I don't think he is. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I I I saw draft mock drafts earlier, you know, but everyone seems like he's in a, he's one of those high risers. So I don't think they're going to get Seth Jarvis. If we're talking about realistic options, uh, Connor Zari, I really like. I really like Dylan Holloway. But probably the one I want most is Noel Gummer. Just I, I think he, he's a really, really good shooter. Maybe not the best of skater. The guy can move, but he's probably not the best. But right-handed shot, Flames don't have a lot of them. Guy that can shoot, don't have a lot of guys like that that are just pure goal scorers. I think Gummer would be a really good pick at 19. But like I said, it's really up in the air. I don't really know. Yeah, and my sack's another guy that kind of falls into that range. But I would like them to take a forward, I think, is uh, – they need to kind of fill that prospect pool up back with forwards because uh, it looks like Pelche is their only guy. But now yeah. I have a trade proposal for you. Would you like to flip picks? Uh oh. What is it going to cost the Flames? I don't care. Kyle Dubas can sort that out with Brad Tree Living. Mister Trade uh, Down trades with Mister. I don't make trades. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't necessarily uh, think Brad would get a would get a good deal on that trade. <laughs> I, I, I think because you know what you can say what you want about Kyle Dubas. What you he wins his trade downs. He trades, he wins them. Not even just trade downs, like just trades in general. Like, like how the hell did he get a first round pick for Kasperi Kapanen? And like, also a player that projects to be like a Patrick Hornquist, Alex Kalorn type. Like, come on, man. Like even like like I know we're we're kind of we've gone on for a while here, but like I don't know. I didn't really necessarily think he lost the Tyson Mary trade at first. I thought he kind of ran away with it, but. You know, it happens. You're going to lose trades. It happens. Um, you know, but I think that cool, it just about wraps up this episode um, of The Burning Leaf. Thank you for uh, hopefully, thank you for listening. Hopefully you stuck around for the whole thing. Um, next episode, we're going to try and do it about a week from now, probably yeah. post-draft, or it will probably go post-free agency um, just to see, um, you know, who's going to sign where. We'll probably do one before free agency because, you know, I think we all want to give our picks of where Alex Petrangelo is going to sign and where Taylor Hall is going to sign. And it's a really good free agency this year. So, um, yeah, I think that concludes it for this episode. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, it's at the Burning Leaf Pod. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, Tom, Thomas. And we'll see you next episode. Yeah. See, see you next week. All right. Thanks for listening.